You are listening to Episode 10 of Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 27, Diurnia System, 2372, January 12th. My tablet bipped me awake at 0500. I grabbed a quick shower and threw on a fresh ship suit before heading down to the galley. I found Mr. Wyatt already up and about, with that heavenly aroma of fresh brewing coffee filling the mess deck, and what looked like ten kilograms of flour spread across the work surface. He looked up at me with a sheepish shrug. The biscuits are winning this morning, Skipper. I can see that, Avery. How many were you planning on making? Well, I tripled the recipe so we'd have some for biscuits and gravy tomorrow morning. It didn't work out too well. I crossed to the urns and snagged a fresh cup before trying to diagnose the problem. Looks to me like you tripled the dry, but maybe only doubled the buttermilk. He frowned. How can you tell? It's just a guess. But you've got a lot more dry there than batter. I've done it myself often enough. Pile it up, make a little hollow in the middle of the pile, and pour some more milk in it. Mix it on the board and repeat it until you get a good dough. Won't that make them tough if I overneed them, Skipper? He was staring at the pile of almost dough in front of him. You've been reading again, haven't you, Avery? He shrugged. It seemed like a good idea, Skipper. Yeah. You got the choice of tossing it and starting over or making them a little tough. Nobody here will complain, or I suspect even notice. At the moment, there's just not enough liquid in it to activate the gluten. You're not really needing it yet, just getting it to the point where you can. I could see him considering it, and I crossed to the work counter to get a better look. You might want to consider a tad more shortening next time. Recipes seem to keep it at a minimum, and I don't know if it's the recipe or the shipboard air or what, but Cookie always used about a third more shortening and maybe a bit more baking soda. Skipper, can I ask you a question? Sure. I reserve the right not to answer, but you can ask anything you like. You know a lot about the galley for a deck officer. I started as an attendant in the steward division, Avery. Lois McKendrick out of New Far Nuke. Operated over in Dunsany Roads before I went to the academy. You were a rating, Skipper? He sounded surprised. You didn't look me up. Look you up, Captain. I do have a fleet record. You can see it. Not all of it, of course, but my pertinent details are listed. Oh, he looked a little crestfallen. I didn't think of it. Yeah, don't feel bad. I've reviewed all your jackets, but I haven't looked at public records yet either. We've been rather busy. He chuckled at that and proceeded to scrape the floury pile up and work it into something approaching biscuit dough. I itched to get my hands on it too, but I really needed to let him find his own way there. So you were a steward. How did you wind up in deck division, Skipper? I took a seat on the bench and sipped my coffee. Well, actually, I was systems two when I left the lowest. He goggled at me, freezing with his hands in the dough. How many ratings do you hold? I shrugged. I'm not sure that any of them are valid, but when I went to Port Newmar, I was full share in all four divisions in one capacity or another. He resumed his biscuit recovery operations and continued to glance at me occasionally. That's not common, Skipper. I shrugged again. Well, maybe, but I'm not spacer-born, so I had to make up for lost time. You're a land rat, Captain? Well, I was born on a planet, and neither of my parents were spacers. My mother was an ancient lit professor at the University of Nares. She got killed, and I went to work on the Lois. The rest is twenty standards of mistakes and the occasional good meal. I glanced over to the chronometer on the bulkhead as it clicked over to 0530. I've got a few ticks here before I have to get up to the bridge. Can I give you a hand, Avery? 
He nodded at the ready cooler. If you could mix a pitcher of egg mix for omelette, Skipper? Eggs are in the cooler. It was a matter of moments to crack two dozen and get them whisked up with a little cold water, salt, and pepper. I snapped an airtight lid on it and left it on the sideboard. You want me to heat a pan? No, sir, but if you'd like to pull out the filling... Miss Thomas's voice cut across the mess deck. What happened in here? Avery and I both snapped around, taken aback by the volume and alarmed by the content. Miss Thomas was just inside the mess deck and was staring like there was something truly terrifying and horrible about to engulf her. She seemed to be staring at the table. What, Miss Thomas? Captain, the... the tables! She seemed almost in despair. Yeah, I had them pulled out and replaced just before we got underway. Why? But... But what, Miss Thomas? Where will officers sit? I don't understand, Miss Thomas. At the table, of course. Actually, I was afraid I did understand, but I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt. She paused for a moment, still staring at the table, but processing. She looked at me after a moment. All right, then where will the enlisted sit? At the table, of course, Miss Thomas. I forestalled her next question. Yes, at the same time. There's plenty of room. But that's impossible, Captain. We can't encourage that level of familiarity between officers and crew. Miss Thomas, before you get too far down that unfortunate path, let me remind you that you're standing outside of crew quarters where, unless I'm very much mistaken, at least one of said crew should be getting ready to join me on the bridge and to whom your commentary is going to be clearly audible. The crew is perfectly aware of my feelings on fraternization, Captain. Mr. Hill stepped around to Miss Thomas on his way to the coffee pot. He nodded respectfully to Miss Thomas. Indeed we are, sir. He seemed completely unfazed by the encounter and continued to the urns. He nodded to me and then Mr. Wyatt. Morning, Skipper. Howdy, Mr. Wyatt. I sighed and scrubbed my face with my hands. Cabin, Miss Thomas. Mr. Hill, at the appropriate time, would you report to the bridge to relieve Mr. Ricks and relay my compliments to Mr. Paul and my apologies for delay in relieving watch? Aye, aye, Captain. I turned back to Miss Thomas. If you please, Miss Thomas, the cabin. She went and I followed. She paused at the top of the ladder to let me lead the way into the cabin, and I forestalled our normal dispute over the door by holding it for her as she entered and closing it myself. Captain, I must protest. Sit, Gwen. I pointed to the chair at the desk, and I took mine on the other side. She looked shocked at the familiarity. I'd prefer to stand, Captain. Sit, Gwen. We need to talk, and it's got to be fast, because I've got to relieve Mr. Paul. She gathered into herself and took the chair. Okay, Gwen, what's the problem? Crew cooties? You can't eat at the same table? What? Captain, it's not right that ratings and officers share the same facilities. Says who? It's... It's... it's just not done, Captain. She was off balance and still truculent. What's got you so spooked? Captain? Look, Gwen, you're my first mate. I really rely on your knowledge of the ship to keep things moving smoothly. Getting underway yesterday proved to me that you have the skills and knowledge that I need and that we can work together. We're still getting used to each other at the moment. We're on the first day of what might well be a six-week blind date from hell here. We need to take some of the masks off and get down to the real parts before we make any more blunders. What's going on? I don't understand, Captain. What's with the fraternization crap? And what's with the cabin door? I have never given you any cause to fear any kind of impropriety, and you're strong enough to break me in half. 
Are you afraid I'm going to call rape or something? No, Captain. I'm just... I waited for her. She shifted uncomfortably in her chair. I don't get along well with men. I shrugged. Oh, okay, that's not a problem with me. My mother preferred women, too. No, Captain. She flushed bright red. It's not that I prefer women. Quite the opposite. I just don't get along with men. The light was dawning for me. But you'd like to, and that's not really working out too well. Yes, Captain. So you don't, what, trust yourself alone with men? She looked startled. Well, not exactly that, but she was looking really embarrassed. Why add temptation I can avoid? She was looking at her hands where they writhed in her lap. Okay, well, I'm not available. Don't be tempted, and stop giving me grief about the door. I'll leave it open if it's ship business, but closed if we need to have a private discussion that I'd rather not share with the whole crew, okay? She took a deep breath and looked up at me. Okay, Captain. Now, what's with the table? Well, that just struck me as odd, Captain. I've never been on a ship where officers dined with ratings. They had two tables on the Hector. She shrugged and nodded. Yes, Skipper, they did. Small ships have different rules, Miss Thomas. Organizationally, these ships are a mess. We're desperately top-heavy. They're just big enough to need a specific officer corps and not big enough to warrant sufficient ratings. That's why Mr. Wyatt is acting like a commissary man and why I've been cooking meals. She nodded her understanding. I can see that, Captain. We, as officers, need to acknowledge the value and contribution of the ratings. None of us gets home alive if we don't all pull together. That larger table is part of it. It represents something significant, as your reaction to it underscores. She looked a little embarrassed, but nodded agreement. I can see that too, Captain. And besides, it's just a more efficient use of the space. Having another large work surface where we can all work may come in useful for some of the other projects I have in mind. And the way it's situated in the galley, it's a place for crew to come and hang out, help with the cooking, kibitz with the cook. It's just friendlier. She took a deep breath and let it out slowly and shifted in her chair again. But she didn't say anything. That was when I noticed that her feet were not reaching the deck. Oh, dear. Captain? I'm sorry, Gwen. I've been insensitive again. It's not the table, is it? Not really, Captain. No. It's the bench. How did you sit at the smaller tables? The seats had a little bar down below where I could hook my heels. She looked embarrassed. If I can fix that problem, will you be okay with this new arrangement? She looked startled at that. How can you fix it, Captain? Stretch my legs? I grinned. No, Gwen. I'm going to raise the deck. The chrono on my desk clicked over to 0555. I nodded to it. But I really need to relieve the watch now. Can you tough out breakfast and trust me to get it resolved before lunch? Sure, Captain, but I'm really curious how raising the deck will help and how you're going to accomplish that. You'll find out. I reached across the desk and offered my hand. Call me Ishmael. She had to stand up to be able to reach across to me, but she did. And when she shook, there were no strength games involved. Thank you, Ishmael. Okay, now get. I've got a watch to relieve. She really did have a lovely smile. Chapter 28 Diurnia System, 2372, January 12. 
I scampered up the ladder a tick before the top of the hour. My apologies, Mr. Paul. No problem, Skipper. Ship is on course and on target. No incidents or actions. Standing orders are unchanged, since you haven't changed them. You may relieve the watch, Captain. I have the watch, Mr. Paul. Logged on 2372, January 12th at 0601 per standing order. Thank you, Skipper. My pleasure, Mr. Paul. Mr. Wyatt will be bringing up a tray shortly, Captain. Oh, thank you, Mr. Paul. I trusted there was a procedure in place. He smiled and dropped down the ladder. Good morning, Mr. Hill. Anything on the helm? Full sails and fair sailing, Skipper. Excellent. I assume they'll bring us both trays. If history is any predictor of the future, Captain, I believe that they will. He was smiling over his shoulder at me. What, not long-standing policy in practice then, Mr. Hill? He snorted. At the risk of impertinence, Captain, have you seen the standing orders? I looked at him. There was a certain embarrassment that had to have been evident in my face. He gave a little shrug, but said no more. Thank you, Mr. Hill. I'll uh, take that under advisement. You're welcome, Captain. I dug into the overnights, and there were no immediate red flags. I took the opportunity to initial them and send them to archives, clearing at least that much of my bureaucratic backlog. I then pulled up the current standing orders file and began reviewing it. Mr. Wyatt slipped in about 0620 with a couple of trays. I took the liberty of throwing a little of this and a little of that into the omelet for you, Skipper. I hope it's okay. Food? Warm? Good, Mr. Wyatt. I smiled up at him from the station. At this point, I'm grateful for all small blessings. And for you, Mr. Hill? Same menu as a captain. Can't get any better than that. Mr. Hill laughed a little. Thank you, Mr. Wyatt. I'll eat pretty much anything. I'll be back for the trays after we get the galley secured, Skipper. First things first, Mr. Wyatt. You're doing great. Don't stop now. Thank you, Captain. He headed back down to the mess deck, and I started to eat while I continued reading the standing orders. The eggs and biscuits were long gone before I got to the end, but I kept plowing. Any error in standing orders could spell catastrophe, and Mr. Hill had me dead to rights. I hadn't really paid much attention to them. After nearly a stand and a half, I got to the end. They didn't seem too bad. There were a couple of raggedy bits that I would have changed, would change eventually, but nothing I found objectionable. You have some critique of the standing orders, Mr. Hill. I'd been quiet for a long time. Wyatt had retrieved the trays and left. The section on meals and coverage of the watch seems a bit on the spare side to me, sir. I didn't remember that section, but I'd read through a lot of material in rather a short order. I scanned the index again and didn't see a listing. What he was saying was suddenly crystal clear. A bit on the spare side does appear to be something of an understatement, Mr. Hill. Well, yes, Captain, probably so. Thank you for pointing that out, Mr. Hill. Quite welcome, Skipper. I expect you've had a few things to worry about since coming aboard. I have indeed, Mr. Hill. And speaking of things to worry about, how are you feeling today? He smiled. I'm okay, Captain. I had it coming. I just didn't think they'd pay off so soon. I'm sore in a few places, and under the ship tee, my skin is turning technicolor. But there's nothing serious. Sorry about that. He actually sounded it. Apology accepted, Mr. Hill. We all have debts that need to be paid one way or another. That brought up an unexpected thought of Jen and a pang of regret for what my being in space was doing to her. I brushed it aside. Are there any other spare sections of the standing orders that you're aware of, Mr. Hill? I'm hardly an expert, Skipper. Entertain me, Mr. Hill. He did, on several different topics. He ran down after two solid ticks. I kept a list as he went and then compared it to the existing standing orders. I found one mismatch, but when I dug into it a bit deeper, I found that he had been right in practically every point. 
Mr. Hill, have you ever considered the Academy? That startled him. Of course not, Captain. I'm an able spacer. So was I once, briefly. He looked very startled at that, but offered no comment. I went back over the list and looked at how well he'd filled in the critical holes. There weren't any of them that would have put the ship at risk or were particularly serious in terms of ship services, but they were the kinds of standing orders that assured the smooth running of the ship during normal operations and largely addressed the comfort of the crew. I sat back in my seat and stared at the list. Mr. Hill, I have another collateral duty for you. Yes, Captain? I'm sorry, this really does seem like it comes from the no-good-deed-goes-unpunished department, but I'd like you to head up a group to revise the standing orders. Me, Captain? Yes, Mr. Hill. You've already given us a great deal of thought, and I'd like to capitalize on that good work. Tap Mr. Ricks, Mr. Wyatt, Chief Gearhart, and Mr. Paul, with my compliments. What I'd like is a review of existing standing orders. The objective is to come up with any revisions to those orders that may be required to keep them consistent with the current state of the ship and her systems, as well as any additional standing orders that might be required to fill in the gaps in those orders. I paused for breath. You've identified some of the gaps already. I'd like to do what I can to fill in any that you may not have thought of yet. He nodded slowly. There are officers in that group, Captain. I'm aware of that, Mr. Hill. Use them well, but abuse them at your peril. What if they don't like it, Captain? He seemed uneasy. They'd like heading up the committee much less, Mr. Hill. Captain, were you always this vicious? Yes, I think so, Mr. Hill. It's just taken me a while to develop the talent. I don't doubt you for a second, Captain. Thank you for your vote of confidence, Mr. Hill. Any time, Skipper. I grinned, and he turned back to his helm. Mentioning Chief Gearhart reminded me. I needed to talk to her about raising the deck. I sent her a quick note asking for her to join me on the bridge when she had a moment. I hadn't done much more than send it when she popped up onto the bridge. I was on my way anyway, Captain. The little girl was smiling out at me this morning. I pulled out my tablet and began a rough sketch of the table and its context in the galley. I need a favor, Chief. If you could do this before lunch, I'd appreciate it. She frowned seriously at the sketch. I explained the situation briefly, and she chewed on the corner of her lip, never taking her eyes off the sketch in my hands, as if fearing that if she looked away it might disappear. Do you know how high, Captain? I shook my head. The most direct approach would be to ask Ms. Thomas, but she's asleep. She nodded her understanding. I have several ideas, Captain, but... She started to reach across me to the console before she realized what she was doing. She froze halfway and looked a question at me. I sat back out of the way and gave a gesture for her to continue. She pulled up Ms. Thomas's jacket where it listed her height. This will give me a solid place to start, Captain. Thank you. She flipped the screen back to the exact place it was before she touched it and turned to frown at the sketch once more. She was concentrating heavily now. I recognized the symptoms. I know what, but I don't know where, Skipper. I don't think she realized it, but the little girl voice had a bit of an edge. Mr. Hill heard it. He didn't turn, but he stiffened in his seat. I used the stylus to put an X on the diagram in one corner of the table. That position, situated so the person sitting here can use it. She pulled back a bit, straightening and gazing. She looked at me with an almost sapphire gaze. There, I nodded. Not beside you. I shook my head. She looked at the sketch again very intently before smiling. Insight, hunch, or edict? Hunch. I like your style, Skipper. I like yours too, Chief. 
That brought the little girl back. She giggled a bit with a nervous glance in Mr. Hill's direction. Carry on, Chief. She did. After the sound of her footsteps made it clear she was gone, Mr. Hill turned to me. Captain? Yes, Mr. Hill. What's with her voice, sir? Her voice, Mr. Hill. Yes, Captain, her voice. I've been aboard for what, five stanyards? I've never heard her speak much above a whisper and always in that little girl voice she has. Your point, Mr. Hill. Captain, that was not a little girl voice. Really, Mr. Hill? I hadn't noticed. The hairy eyeball he gave me back was one lash short of insubordination and masterfully done. Captain, has anyone ever told you? Yes, Mr. Hill, I'm a very bad liar. I try to avoid it where possible. Please don't give me any more practice. You know, then, sir. Oh, yes. Miss Dang and Miss Jackson on the Tinker kept me appraised of my progress on a regular basis. What can I say, Mr. Hill? I'm a slow learner. He took the hint and turned back to the helm. I turned back to the console and ran a routine scan of ship's position, velocity, and overall status. On the bottom of the screen, ETA to jump caught my eye. 2372, February 15. Mr. Hill, do you have an estimated jump date on your display? Yes, Captain, 15th of February. What's the date today displaying as, Mr. Hill? January 12th, Captain. He was looking over at me with little glances and sitting up in his seat trying to figure out what was going on. Do you have any idea why it's going to take us almost five weeks to hit jump, Mr. Hill? No, sir. I'm just the helm. Mr. Paul does the plotting. I forced myself to take a breath before I spoke again. It wouldn't do to lose it on the bridge. And does five weeks seem a reasonable run out to you, Mr. Hill? He shrugged, still scanning his board to see if there was anything he was missing. It's always been about that, Skipper. Always on the run out to Diurnia. No, Skipper. Always. We run out about five weeks. Jump. Run in about five weeks. It's just what we do. Thank you, Mr. Hill. Valuable insight. Is something wrong, Captain? He looked over at me to gauge my mood. No, Mr. Hill. I kicked myself mentally. If this is the norm, then there's probably a good reason. He settled back into his chair and turned back to the helm. You'll need a lot more practice, Captain. No doubt, Mr. Hill, but let me check on my assumptions before I commit my blunders. I prefer to make my mistakes on purpose rather than by accident. That's an interesting philosophy, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Hill. I started slapping keys, and he was smart enough to leave me alone while I ran a few numbers of my own. I got to the end and had a date in March. I sighed and started checking it again. I didn't spot the error, so I erased the workspace and filled it in from scratch. Unfortunately, in my zeal, I erased all the default values for ship systems as well and had to reload them all from current status. I got to the bottom, and I had a date in early February. That seemed much more likely, but I was still concerned that I didn't know some key piece of this puzzle, and I sat back in my chair to think. Find it, Skipper? Mr. Hill hadn't turned his head before speaking. I don't know, Mr. Hill. I think so, but I need more information. He glanced at me out of the corner of his eye. This is going to be an interesting cruise, Captain. I grin. You're just figuring that out, Mr. Hill. He snickered a little. I've had some hints, sir, but I think this is the first time it's really hit home. He shrugged a little apologetically. Slow learner, sir. What can I say? Yeah, as long as we learn eventually, Mr. Hill, that's the key. 
He nodded in agreement. I looked at the chronometer and at my empty mug. How do we get a fresh cup of coffee up here, Mr. Hill? He looked at his mug, too. I don't know, Captain. I've never really been tempted by a second, and I've never bothered to find out. In five staniers, Mr. Hill? He shrugged. Captain, you may have noticed that the coffee aboard wasn't all that good. I did notice some improvements in recent days, now that you mention it, Mr. Hill. I pondered for a moment. How long do you think it would take you to scamper down to the galley, fill two mugs, and come back? He looked over at me to see if I was serious. Three ticks, max, Skipper. Why? I held up my mug. Just a splash of milk, if you please, Mr. Hill. Go. What about the helm, Skipper? I stood up and crossed to it. Scoot, man. I'm qualified. He scooted, taking his own mug with him and trailing an I.I. captain in his wake. I really hadn't got a chance to settle into the seat before he was back with a grin and two mugs of coffee. He handed one to me as I slipped out of his chair and into my own. Make a note to deal with that, Mr. Hill. Captain? In the standing orders. Bridgewatch needs refreshment, and we have no messengers to help. That needs to be addressed. He actually pulled out his tablet and, as I watched, made a note. I grinned and opened my own comms channel at the console, sent low-priority messages to establish the work group to review standing orders. Captain? Yes, Mr. Hill. You're humming. Interesting, Mr. Hill. I wasn't aware. Does it bother you? No, Captain. Just, I never had a captain who hummed. Usually I whistle, Mr. Hill. He glanced at me out of the corner of his eye once and settled into his seat with a wry smile. Yeah, interesting trip indeed. Did you say something, Mr. Hill? No, Captain. Very well, Mr. Hill. Carry on. Aye, aye, Skipper. Chapter 29, Diurnia System, 2372, January 12th. Mr. Paul popped up the ladder right on time at 11.45 with Mr. Ricks in tow. We did the needful, and I vacated the bridge in favor of the mess deck. As I walked in, Ms. Thomas was standing beside the table, bent over, peering under it at a raised and slightly tilted box where, if Chief Gearhart's calculations were correct, she would be able to comfortably rest her feet while seated. Mr. Wyatt was very busy not noticing as he bustled around the ovens, pulling out a very credible casserole of what smelled like chicken and a tray of ready-baked rolls. What do you think, Miss Thomas? Will it work? She straightened from her examination and smiled. It does work, Skipper. I tried it already and was just looking down to see how she'd managed it. Chief Gearhart showed up at my elbow then. Mastic, Gwen, stick'em works good. Her voice had that bright little girl tone, and she sounded as proud of herself as any four-year-old with a mud pie. Gwen slipped up onto the bench and placed her feet on the box. She gave a kind of settling shake to her body and placed both hands palm down on the table. She looked up then and actually whispered, Thank you both. Chief Gearhart grinned and I nodded my acknowledgement before crossing over to the ready cooler. How can I help you, Mr. Wyatt? He glanced over from where he was arranging the casserole on a hot pad and nodded at the cooler. You should find a large bowl of salad and a couple of bottles of dressing in there, Captain. It all needs to come out and go on the sideboard. Got it, Mr. Wyatt. We bustled around, pulling food and setting up while the crew gathered. When it was all out, Mr. Wyatt nodded to me. It looks like it, Skipper. I stepped back and admired the spread. Nice job, Mr. Wyatt. Thank you, Captain. The clock ticked over to 1200, and I took Captain's privilege, grabbing the first plate and starting down the line. Miss Thomas was right behind me, Chief Gearhart behind her. After that, I lost track, but the boys seemed to sort it out amongst themselves, and in a matter of just a few minutes, I'd taken my place on the left side of the table at one end, thereby establishing, once and for all, the head. 
It happened to be, through absolutely no coincidence at all, directly across from Ms. Thomas. The chief engineer sat next to the first mate, and as I expected, Mr. Hill sat on the opposite end of the bench from me, while Mr. Schubert sat opposite him, establishing the foot of the table. Once the order was established, I was pretty sure it would remain. Chief Gearhart watched covertly as the seats filled in and as Mr. Wyatt took the trays up to the bridge. She hid a wink and a nod in my direction behind her coffee mug. I think Mr. Wyatt would take it amiss if we let his excellent efforts get cold, I announced it to the table at large, and took the ceremonial first bite. My first lunch mess got off to a good start, and I had hopes it would finish well. There was a certain amount of tension for me, and I think for the rest of the crew, as they began to get used to the idea that we were indeed one crew. Even Mr. Wyatt's return failed to bring doom upon the party, as he took up trencher and mug, and after a single heartbeat's consideration, took the seat beside Chief Gearhart, and not the one next to me. The chief grinned and licked one fingertip delicately to make a kind of tally mark in the air with a nod in my direction. I gave a small toast with my coffee cup in acknowledgment, and the meal progressed swimmingly. For dessert, Mr. Wyatt brought out small cups of frozen custard, each garnished with a strawberry and a drizzle of chocolate syrup. By 12.45, we were all pushed back and replete, even Ms. Thomas. As the last of us finished and the meal drew to a close, I held my mug and toast to Mr. Wyatt. My compliments to the chef. It was followed by a general round of raised mugs and glasses with echoes of hear, hear. He looked embarrassed, but pleased, and was gracious in his acceptance. Lunch started to break up, and I was pleased and surprised to see Ms. Thomas and Mr. Schubert stand to help Mr. Wyatt with cleanup without being asked. I hoped this would be a pattern that would continue as well. I stood, bust my own dirties, and with a suggestion to Mr. Hill that he make an effort to get some sleep before he reported to watch, left the mess deck with what I hoped was a cheerful carry-on. This was the tight turnaround slot in my watch schedule. We'd done six stands on and were now off until 1800. We'd be back on until midnight and would go off watch until midnight on the following day. I thought I really should take a nap myself, but I had a nagging problem that I needed resolved before I'd be ready to rest. I scampered up to the bridge and took a seat at the engineering station, which was handiest to the main watch console. How's the watch so far, Mr. Paul? No hostiles as yet, Captain. We have a weather eye peeled. Excellent news, Mr. Paul. If you can spare a moment from Pirate Patrol, I've got a bit of confusion that I'd like you to clear up. Certainly, Skipper. Keep a weather eye peeled, Mr. Ricks. Aye, aye, sir. Peeling a weather eye now, sir. Mr. Paul turned to give me his complete attention. I was running some astrogation exercises, and I came across an odd anomaly that I hope you can explain to me, Mr. Paul. I'll try, Skipper. What's up? I pointed to a worksheet on the console's local storage. Open that plotting calculator, if you would, Mr. Paul. Aye, aye, sir. He was already opening it before the words were out of his mouth. If you check that jump estimate, you'll see a date that's substantially different than ours, Mr. Paul. He was deep in the calculation, and that's where I wanted him. Aye, Skipper, I see that. What I don't see is why you think this is our ship. What do you mean, Mr. Paul? These setups are all wrong. Why are they wrong, Mr. Paul? He held that sheet open while he slipped the formal astrogation displays open behind it. A few flicks of the keys, and he had an identical worksheet open with defaults set that were radically different from the ones I'd pulled from the current ship's systems. He pointed to the screen. That's our ship, Captain. Where did those numbers come from, Mr. Paul? Template file, Captain. It's our baseline for all astrogation calculation. I blinked at him. 
But the ship is different each trip. How can you use a template for astrogation? He shrugged. It seemed odd to me, too, Skipper, but when I came here, Captain Delman showed me the setup and gave me the standing order. That's what he wanted, so that's what I've been doing. Why? Standing order, Mr. Paul. He nodded and pulled up the file with a requisite order and opened it for me to read. I remembered reading it, but the implication of it hadn't really sunk in because it looked like a pretty standard follow-the-established-procedure order. And the established procedure is to use this template every time? Yes, Captain. Those are the settings for the ship's baseline. Who told you that? Captain Delman, Skipper. Tell me, Mr. Paul, did it ever seem odd to you that every trip was exactly ten weeks long? He thought about it for a few ticks. Well, no. I guess I never noticed. Are you sure, Captain? I shook my head. No, I have to check the logs. But do me a favor. Run up an exercise sheet. Plot diurnia to jet using your template. Aye, aye, sir. He tapped the keys for a few ticks and sat back in the chair staring. Ten weeks, Skipper. Try diurnia to break all. A few more ticks and he looked at me strangely. Ten weeks, Captain. Those baseline numbers are not the Agamemnon. Or at least not the ideal plot for the Agamemnon. I'm not sure why, but somebody wanted every trip to be exactly ten weeks long. Mr. Paul turned to me, his eyes wide. Pirates, Captain? I shook my head. I don't know, Mr. Paul. It's certainly possible. Where did this template come from? Can you tell? He grinned. I'm not just the astrogator, Captain. I got access. He turned back to the console and pulled up the system's displays and started rooting about in archives. After a few ticks, he frowned and started typing faster. I could see his eyes tracking something in the screen as folders and files opened and closed, but I didn't interrupt him to find out what it might be. I knew he was getting close when his eyes tightened and I saw his eyeballs slow in their sockets. Gotcha. He turned to me. Skipper, this template has been in place for going on 20 staniers. I like to see well-established policy, Mr. Paul, but it would be good if that policy were established for some reason. Any clue as to who put that template up? It's listed to a David Burnside, Captain. Burnside, Mr. Paul. He nodded and pointed to the screen. Right here, Skipper. Operative record for this file was David Burnside, second mate. He looked up at me as I came around to look over his shoulder. That name mean anything to you, Skipper? Pirate, Mr. Paul. I've run into him before. I think if you cross-reference that date against the command list, you're going to find that the skipper who put that standing order in place was Captain Leon Rossett. His fingers dodged around the keyboard for a few moments. The list of Agamemnon's captains spooled down the screen from the most current one, me, to Delman, and on down the list. Some I recognized, most I didn't, until the pointer rested on the name Leon Rossett. Damn, you're good, skipper. Thank you, Mr. Paul, but that answers my question. My suspicion is that Captain Rossett wanted to have some order in his life, and Mr. Burnside supplied it. Is the template wrong, Captain? Mr. Paul sounded alarmed. No, Mr. Paul. It does what the captain wanted, and it's done it very well. The wonder is that nobody since has thought to change it. Nobody wants to challenge a standing order, Captain. Yo-ho-ho, ho, Mr. Paul. I think it's time we kicked a few butts, take a few risks, and call the cat rude names. Do we have a cat, Captain? I laughed because I wasn't really sure he was joking. I ignored him. Do me a favor, Mr. Paul. Bring up a blank plotter. He clicked a few keys, but the plotter he showed was filled with the suspect template. He frowned at it. That's as empty as I have, Skipper. Use the console commands. Erase all data, Mr. Paul. He did so. 
Now, if you'd use your fine understanding of ship systems, modern astrogation techniques, and any other little tricks, traps, and foibles you've concocted along the way to plot me a run from here to Wellover, best time, current configuration, assume a climb-out Burleson limit with 5% safety factor on this end, and drop us outside the wall with 10% margin on the other end, Mr. Paul. I love it when you talk dirty, Captain. I do too, Billy. Plot me a course no buccaneer would dare follow. Mr. Ricks was trying not to stare openly. Aye, aye, Skipper. He was already moving. Familiarity with the screens and current practice and the tools made my earlier efforts seem almost childish. He worked for the better part of a quarter stand. Every once in a while he'd grunt and his left cheek would twitch, but other than that, only his fingers and his eyeballs moved. He didn't even jiggle a foot. Every erg of energy was focused on the task. The frenetic activity ended suddenly, and he pulled his hands back from the keyboard. That can't be right. He was talking to himself and not to me. The date on the screen was two days earlier than mine. I read February 2nd. Why not, Mr. Paul? He slapped his sheet against mine, and we compared them line to line. Where there was a difference, and there weren't many, the error was mine. Cross-checked and verified, Mr. Paul. I said it softly, but I saw Mr. Ricks twitch. I'm speechless, Captain. Okay, so we have two experienced astrogators who believe that this date is correct. All we'd need now is to find the course that takes us there. Mr. Ricks, come right five degrees, yaw plus fifty-two. Hold her, because I'm going to ask for some more sail. His fingers moved as he spoke, and the engineering display showed the action matching the word. When the fields had stabilized and the new track established, he looked up at me. Any suggestions, Captain? Two, Mr. Paul. I smiled down at him. Hold that course, and keep a weather eye peeled. He grinned. Aye, aye, Skipper. There were a few more details I needed to deal with before I could find my rack, and first was to stop on engineering. I found Chief Gearhart grinning at the sail generators, and in a way that had nothing to do with little girls. She saw me enter the generator room out of the corner of her eye and turned those sapphire daggers on me again. About damn time, Captain. How are they doing, Chief? The generators? Oh, these babies have been dying to cut loose for a long, long time, Skipper. Her eyes went back to the machinery, and I could see her tracking back and forth in ways that I did not understand, watching cues that meant something to her but not to me. There was an almost predatory glee in her face as she watched the machines working. This isn't normal, then, Chief. She shook her head, never taking her eyes off the displays. I don't think we've ever had them out past 40%, Skipper. Not in the two stanniers I've been aboard. Any idea why? Delman always said it was standing orders. I tried to tell him it was causing them more damage to run him damp down like that, but he just told me to deal with it. How much leg does the old girl have? A lot more than we're using. But Billy's a good sailor, and Ricks knows his helm. They'll call for what they need, and we're still close in. We get further out, and we'll need more sail to maintain Delta V. We stood there in the belly of the beast, feeling the new tension in the hull, a new tempo in the beat of the ship's heart. Chief Gearhart laughed, high and musical and filled with delight. Yes, Captain, the girls are doing just fine, and thank you, sir, for asking. I really wanted to know, but I was afraid to break the spell, and I wasn't sure it mattered. She answered the unspoken. It's camouflage, Captain. Does it work, Chief? She arched one raggedly perfect eyebrow with a sardonic grin. Do you need it? She stopped for a heartbeat and started to answer, but stopped again. Good question, Captain. Can I get back to you on that? Of course, Chief. Take your time. I stopped to take a quick look around the space. 
Any issues in the other systems? The bacon fire cause any problems with the scrubbers? She shook her head and gave a little sideways shrug. Might have knocked a day off the life cycle, but nothing serious, Cap. I may have to swap out the cartridges a day early, but these things are massively over-engineered for the size of the crew we have. That's what I thought when I saw the specs. Any idea why, Chief? Old design, Skipper. They built to different standards then, and I think they engineered environmental on the volume of the nacelle and not the anticipated crew load. Now, that's a good point. It's my job, Captain. You do it well, Chief, and I'm truly grateful. It's my pleasure, Captain. I left her running status checks on the fuse actors and headed up to the galley. I needed to make sure Mr. Wyatt was okay with dinner before I took my nap. It was already pushing 1400, and I needed to go soon or it wouldn't be worth it. The mess deck was already ship-shape in Bristol fashion. Ms. Thomas and Mr. Schubert weren't there, but I found Mr. Wyatt just putting the finishing rub down on the work counters. He smiled when he saw me coming. Did I feel the generator spooling up, Captain? You did indeed, Mr. Wyatt. We put a bit more sail on and took a new tack. Pirates, Captain. In a way, we'll be getting into Welliver a bit earlier than expected. He looked curious but didn't press it, for which I was grateful. You okay for dinner, Mess Avery? I'd like to take a nap before it gets too late, but I'm asking you to do a lot that's not in your pay grade, and I don't want to leave you hanging in the wind, again. I'm fine, Skipper. Dinner's a roast with some tubers and veg. Using one of the cans of soup with a little help from the pantry like you showed me. Dessert's a frozen pie tonight, but... He shrugged. We gotta use them up. I nodded my agreement. Well, if there's nothing you need from me, I'm going to see if I can get a couple of stands rest before watch. Sleep while you can, Skipper. First lessons, eh, Mr. Wyatt? He chuckled, and I headed out of the galley, but remembered one other point. Mr. Wyatt, you know about the ship's puka? The Agamemnon account, Captain. Of course. What about it? Has it ever been used? Not that I know of, Captain, but I might not be in the loop on that one. Thank you, Mr. Wyatt. I'll look into it and let you know what I find. Get some rest, Skipper. I went up to the cabin and was almost tempted by the paperwork, but I had a long evening watch ahead that I could use for some of it, and I needed to be careful to sleep enough. I went into the sleeping cabin, slid the privacy screen closed, skinned down to my boxers, and slipped into the rack. I was concerned that I might not be able to fall asleep, but good training tells. Before I could even wonder too seriously if I'd be able to sleep, my tablet was bipping me awake at 1700. Mr. Wyatt was puttering in the galley when I got down there at 1730. Any problems, Mr. Wyatt? The roast smells marvelous. He shook his head with a smile. No, Captain. All ops normal. Dinner's on course and on schedule. Good to know, Mr. Wyatt. Thanks for this. I waved my hand at the galley and the mess deck. He paused for a moment before speaking. You're welcome, Captain. It's funny, but when all I was doing was opening cans, I hated this part. He nodded to indicate the galley. It just seemed like so much work. He laughed. Now I'm working ten times more and enjoying it. All of it. He shrugged. It fills the time. And this probably sounds corny but it feels like I'm helping. You are, Avery, more than you realize. If you need anything, make sure I know about it, okay? I will, Captain. I crossed to the urns and decanted a mug before climbing the two ladders up to the bridge. I really felt like it was coming together, and I regretted that feeling with every step. If experience had taught me anything, it was that feeling like it was under control was really the first symptom of a complete lack of understanding. It was a lesson I thought I'd learned well, but which continued to show me new variations with every iteration. Thanks for listening to Captain's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is the Mason's Apron and is used with permission of the artist J.F. Archer. 
Find this and other works by J.F. Archer at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>